uh, counters out in the foyer. You also received them in an email uh, this Thursday. You also, they're also available on our website. And the reason we work so hard to make that available in so many places is because we really, really, really want you to read them. So, uh, so if you could do us a huge favor and, uh, you know, those, those reports, they, they, are, they just catalog everything that this church has been able to accomplish in the last year. And as I was putting it together, as I was figuring it out, I just, I, I looked at it and I was, I was just struck at what Alliance Bible Church was able to accomplish in the last year. And so I really encourage you, please, please, please go uh, read those reports. And uh, I'll just highlight a few things. Um, the implications of those reports for each of us as individuals uh, and something I'd like to call every individual in this church kind of to step up for in the next year. Uh, I'd like, I, I'm asking everybody to, to start praying about um, how you might take ownership of a specific ministry at Alliance Bible Church, and we'll explain what that looks like as the, the year goes on, but, but start praying about, you know, if the Lord asked me to own something at Alliance Bible Church, what would that thing be? So how might you take ownership of something? We're asking everybody actually to kind of take a step up in, in personal evangelism and outreach. Um, how are you, uh, you know, reaching out to your neighbors, reaching out to your coworkers, that kind of stuff, just to share the hope of Jesus with them. And then the third thing that we are asking everybody to step up to is prayer. Um, so it's might, it might be actually like you might think that the, the pressure is off, the tension is less now that there is a pastor. You've had a pastor for a year here, and it's all it's like kind of easy going and smoothed out and all that stuff. And, and the reality is, is uh, we can't accomplish anything at this church if, if the Lord doesn't accomplish it. And uh, that means that we cannot stop praying. We cannot stop praying. So, so those, are the, those are the three things I would encourage us towards. So, uh, this morning I want to talk about a few things that might make you experience a sense of desperation. Uh, so so I, I think the, the primary way that we might experience it, or the, the way that maybe shows up the easiest, is when we encounter the limitations of our physical bodies. So, uh, so Andrea and I, we have been watching The Amazing Race recently, and that's been really exciting for us. And, and uh, you know, Something amazing happens when people run in the amazing race. They get to be exhausted and they run into these challenges that are quite physically uh, difficult for them. And you know, it's kind of funny. You'll watch people who have never prayed before uh, start praying on the amazing race. Uh, you'll, you'll hear them say things like, oh, God, just like let me keep going. Let me uh, win this challenge or whatever it might be because they get this sense of desperation when they get to uh, sort of the, the, the limits of their physical bodies. Uh, I experienced this when, uh, when I had to do two-a-day football practices. Two-a-day football practices took me to the end of my physical limits, and I found myself many times when we were having to run that last lap around the football field or whatever it might be, uh, going, oh, God, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can do this if you don't get me through it, right? So I had this sense of desperation. Uh, so just recently, I climbed a ladder to put that TV up on the wall, and I did it by myself, and there was nobody else in the building, and I, and I got about 
all the way up the ladder and I had the TV in my hand and I felt my balance sort of wobbling as I was up there on that ladder and I was going, I think I've made a mistake, uh, but I don't know what to do and I feel like I'm at the limits of what my physical body can do. Lord, I need your help. Please don't let me drop this TV or myself on the ground. So this was the experience. Uh, our bodies have limitations to them. And this is, this is actually like God created our bodies with limitations to them. Even in good creation, God created our bodies with limitations. We are finite creatures, and that teaches us something about ourselves. It teaches us to look to God, who is infinite. It teaches us like, like God created us with bodies that need rest. Like we actually, you shall work seven days, and on the, the, or six days, and on the seventh day you shall rest, right? Like God gave us limitations to our bodies. But then the Bible also tells a story, which is this. An infinite God made finite people, and those finite people introduced corruption into his creation. So now we have this thing called death. This is what uh, the Bible said when Adam and Eve, they, they disobeyed God, they rebelled against God, and, and then every human being after them chose a path of rebellion and so now even our bodies encounter corruption. Now, now death is introduced in creation and, and our bodies deal with corruption. So, okay, so go back to physical limitations because we don't just have physical limitations because we're finite beings, but we actually encounter physical limitations because of rebellion, because we have bodies that have been touched by sin. Uh, there, there are these additional limitations that come upon us. So sickness disease, issues with brain chemistry, blindness, autoimmune conditions, skin problems, heart problems, whatever it might be, these are all evil things. They are evil things that have been introduced in creation. Now we have to deal with these evil things because sin broke what God intended to be good. Sin broke what God intended to be good. And, 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 and that's just dealing with physical brokenness. That's dealing with the physical realities that we encounter. That's not even dealing with the mental realities or the emotional realities, the, the spiritual realities that we have to deal with in brokenness. And, and so I just want to just give us a principle as we move forward this morning. These limitations can cause desperation. These limitations cause desperation. So, uh, so they give us this sense that we don't have any control. And, and we encounter this problem. Like, we've run now into a problem that we don't have a solution for when we encounter these limitations. So, so it's no accident, I don't think, that like when we're sick, when we encounter sickness, when we encounter disease in our life, it's no accident that like the most prayer requests that churches deal with are when people are sick because we've encountered something that we have no control over. We've encountered something that we don't know what to do with. And even, even, even when we have to go to a doctor, like we're still in a place where we, as individuals, don't have control over the situation that we're facing. Something is outside of us, and so now we feel this sense of desperation. And it's in the middle of that desperation that we get to receive the good news this morning that Jesus, yes, he is a savior. Yes, Jesus is a sanctifier, but the good news this morning is also this, Jesus is is a healer. Jesus is a healer. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 3, and, and uh, we're in a series on the fourfold gospel, and, and that, that series is, Who is this Jesus? So, so in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we're a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, we have this thing called the fourfold gospel. You can see it in your bulletin. Uh, there are four symbols of Jesus's 
works. So we call Jesus a savior, a sanctifier, a healer, and a coming king. And today we are focusing on the reality that Jesus is healer. And, and of all the pieces in the fourfold gospel, this is probably the hardest, number one, for us to relate to because we don't always see like physical healing take place in our world. But we say, at the same time balance the reality that scripture tells us the story of a Jesus who does heal, heal and also we hear stories of healings, of, of miraculous things that are still happening around the world through Jesus followers. So, so we hear these stories, we deal with these things, but but then we also deal with the reality that like, sometimes Jesus doesn't heal. Sometimes in the way that we expect. Sometimes Jesus doesn't heal in the way that we expect. The way that we're waiting to receive. And so, so, uh, so in modern churches, you may not hear people necessarily discuss this topic, but honestly, because it's really hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about healing. It's really hard to talk about asking for healing and at the same time acknowledging that maybe healing won't come in the way that we're expecting. So, so even though uh, you may not hear sermons about this typically, uh, there, we still have in this church, there are still many churches that have a strong belief in healing, which is why we still submit prayer requests. Even though we don't hear many sermons, we still submit prayer requests when we encounter sickness because we actually do believe that God has the power to heal. So, so now as I stand before you here this morning, um, I can say that I'm really glad to be in a place where we have the freedom to preach the good news that Jesus can and sometimes does choose to heal physically right here and now. Jesus loves to let his kingdom break into desperate places. That is a big deal. Jesus actually comes into the middle of our desperation. Jesus comes into the middle of our brokenness and he shows us something of the future kingdom that he's gonna bring about. Okay, so, so Acts chapter three. In verse one, this is what it says. This is the story of broken bodies, the story of our broken bodies. See if you can relate to this man. Acts chapter three, verse one says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So why, why? Like why is a really big question when we encounter the brokenness of our bodies. Why would this man have a body that is so broken? Why do we encounter sickness? Why do we encounter these troubles? So, so I wanna give you um, a series of explanations for why and at the same time tell you that none of us can know the mind of God as to why this kind of stuff happens. So, uh, so the first explanation that I wanna give you is this sometimes, sometimes, Whenever somebody tells you that they know for sure that this is the case, I want to tell you that sometimes this is the case, but we can never know for sure. Sometimes God lets a spiritual problem manifest itself physically. That's a sometimes, okay? I, I can't emphasize that enough. Sometimes this is the case. So uh, the Corinthian church, in the Corinthian church, something was happened. Uh, so when, when uh, Christians used to take communion way back in the first century, when Christians used to take communion, it was a big meal. 
They all ate this big meal together. And what was happening at this meal was that there were people being excluded from the meal. So this was a meal to celebrate what Jesus accomplished for people, that he went to the cross for people, that he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed, and there were people using that meal to exclude others. And so they abused this meal that was supposed to remind us of Jesus' self-giving love. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29 to 30. For anyone who eats and drinks without the discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died because what they've done is they've abused the very meal that is supposed to remind us of Jesus' self-giving love. So I just want to say that sometimes it is possible that God would allow a spiritual problem to manifest itself physically, and, but, but the purpose of that, what actually happens is that draws our attention to our desperation in order to get us to rely upon God in order to get us to turn back to God. So that's, that's a sometimes often. Now I want to talk about what happens often. Often, God will allow certain things to teach us a lesson that we couldn't learn if we were whole. So, so God will allow us to encounter brokenness that we couldn't otherwise learn if we were whole. And this is something we, we kind of acknowledge this most of the way through 1 Peter, that, that God somehow uses the, the trials that come against Christians, that come against the church. God somehow uses those things to, to teach the church, to help the church grow and be prepared for what it's gonna face in the future. So that's often, and then three, always, three, always. This is always the explanation for every sense of disease or sickness that we encounter, always, it is a, a natural result of living in a fallen world. So, so the reality is, is uh, God's good creation has been broken by sin, and the natural result of that is, is sometimes we deal with sickness. Sometimes we deal with disease. Sometimes we deal with the, the brokenness of our bodies. And so, so creation is broken by sin and rebellion. That's the story that Genesis 3 tells and when we're, uh, our bodies are no exception to that reality, so that when we're born into this world, we're destined to be under the power of death, which is why we're faced with sickness, it's why, and, and this is, when we're in the midst of the power of death, it's the time when we have a unique opportunity, actually, to draw our attention to Jesus, who we learn has all the power over death. He actually has the power to conquer death. So, so sickness and death might have power, but, but what we actually understand in Scripture is that Jesus is much more powerful than sickness and death ever could be. And that's the value of desperation because it, it takes us to a place where we would look outside of ourselves for hope. It causes us to realize that in ourselves we don't have the resources we need to deal with the brokenness of our bodies. So this is the very thing that, that caused the man to actually beg every single day of his life outside the temple because he didn't have it. Every day he would wake up and he couldn't even move. He couldn't even get up to walk himself out the door. He had to rely on people to pick him up and carry him and set him at the temple just so he could have enough money to eat day to day. That was the existence that he was living. So then, uh, in the story, as the story continues on, Peter and John, they encounter this guy, and this is what happens. The good news that Jesus still heals us. Verse four says this, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. 
and he fixes his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. So, so the typical attitude of people passing this man by as he sits in front of the temple, the typical attitude would be for them to avoid him. And if they were going to uh, give him money, they would kind of give him money and then kind of look the other way and keep going. But rarely would anybody have a conversation with this man. But here comes Peter and John, and they come to see him, to know him, to have a conversation with him. They notice him. And his expectation is still that they're, that they're going to give him some kind of money. You know, after you've been desperate for a long time, your expectations actually change in a drastic way. You get really used to having lower and lower and lower expectations. They keep falling. You know, so, so I imagine his life started out, mom and dad, hoping that he would eventually walk, and then he doesn't really walk. It never happened. And then one day he's expecting to be able, like maybe he's just waiting as he's going through his childhood and his development. He's expecting maybe one day to be able to walk or maybe for his muscles to be able to develop, but, but nothing happens. And so he has this prolonged desperation. And, and because of his prolonged desperation, the biggest thing that he can expect is somebody to come and give him money so that he can eat. That's the biggest thing that he can expect. But what this man was about to receive was far beyond his expectations. So then Peter says this, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I don't want you to miss what's happening here because the story moves so fast that we can miss it. So uh, this man's nerves likely were severed for a major part of his life. So when it says he was healed... Like when we see his healing, his nerves are likely brought back into alignment. Then, if you don't walk, so I'm, I imagine this guy is my age. Imagine this guy is like 29 years old or whatever. If you don't walk for 29 years, you know what you don't have? You don't have muscles to hold your body up. So what this means is that in an instant, when he says in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, in an instant, muscles regrow in his legs. The joints that he has, joints aren't used to even being able to hold up weight, so, so somehow his joints are brought into alignment. His skills, he, suddenly he has these skills that are accessible to him that were never accessible for, before, because you know what it takes to walk? It takes balance to walk. Like, you don't, you don't just suddenly know how to balance yourself. You learn balance over a period of time of walking. I'm watching my daughter right now. My daughter does not know how to balance, y'all. Like, so, so this, is not, this is a skill that she, he suddenly gained, that the Holy Spirit somehow put inside of him in that moment, because he's not just able to walk. He's jumping. He's praising God. Like, he, this, the amazing reality of what happened in an instant because the name of Jesus was spoken. All of the physical, physiological processes that are engaged, every single expectation that this guy had was defied by what Jesus could do. The Jesus who has authority over all creation. So get this, when Jesus' kingdom comes, creation starts to be set right. 
When Jesus' kingdom comes, creation starts to be set right. That's why we believe like this two-mile radius that we have taken responsibility for, one of the things that we're about is trying to set creation right in some way in this part of Bartlett because we believe that when Jesus' kingdom comes, creation starts to be set right. Jesus' kingdom is here to undo the brokenness that sin has created. So the king over all creation breaks into the world, and you know what? Crazy stuff starts happening. People start getting healed. This is what we see when Jesus shows up. People start getting healed. Like the whole spiritual realm just starts going crazy, and then Jesus is like casting out demons and undoing things that have been the case for years to start setting creation right. So, so uh, then, like Jesus followers, people who are following Jesus, Jesus somehow gives those authority. The people who are bringing Jesus' kingdom with them, Jesus somehow gives them authority. He does, he's not just the one doing the healing, but he gives them the authority to heal. So, so in the Gospel of Luke, this is what happens. Jesus sends out his followers, Luke 10, 8, and 9, and this is what he says. He says to them, hey, uh, you 72, I'm sending you out. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God is here to undo the brokenness that you've been seeing. Okay, so uh, healing, healing, like physical, miraculous healing, it, it displays the power of the kingdom of God. But I just like, I want to let you know for what it's worth, this is the reason hospitals exist today and are so widespread around the world because Christians believe that when healing comes near, they're undoing the power of the fall. So they set up hospitals to be places of healing so that they could show people what happens when the kingdom of God comes near. This is why hospitals and medical advancements exist because Christians care enough about helping people realize the kingdom in this world. So some people could lack a, look at the, the sort of the, so wait, sorry, you might say to me, and I understand this, you might say to me, okay, Alex, but we don't see stuff like this today. It's just not what we see, it's not our experience, and you might ask, so why don't we? If this is something we're supposed to see, you might ask, why don't we? And uh, I don't have a, a ton of explanations. Uh, it seems that maybe God works at different ways throughout history, and, and there was one particular point in history where he was he was really trying to make a point about something, that this is his son, and he wants, he wants people to understand who his son is. Um, but this is what I also know. I know that the disciples were fully obedient, and um, I, like sometimes I wonder, I don't know if we're as obedient as they were. The disciples were really full of the Holy Spirit, and I don't know if we have as much fullness of the Holy Spirit as, as they had. I think we leak quite a bit more than they did. You know, they fully, they fully expected to see Jesus heal when they asked for it. I don't know that we always fully expect it, you know? So some people, some people might look at the, the lack of miraculous healings today and, and say, you know, that was for that period of time in history, but we really shouldn't expect to see it today. And, and I have to tell you, when I look at scripture and when I look even at my own personal experience and stories of people that I know, I have to tell you that, that those things tell me a different story that this wasn't just for one particular point in history, but that we could actually see it actualized today. It seems in Scripture, in fact, that Jesus expects that miraculous healings will still occur after he ascends in, into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit, after the church is established and people are following him. John 14, 12 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I 
am going to the Father. So apparently, we should have some level of expectation to see the miraculous things that Jesus does also. Okay, so then, so then I said scripture and experience. So I just wanna share, share a few stories about my own experience in asking Jesus to do, do something and seeing him show up in what I would call miraculous ways. So uh, the first one is, is one uh, I was at a camp, I was serving at a camp with another guy and, uh, and this guy was under some sort of, he just felt a heavy weight upon him. He called it spiritual oppression, felt like this darkness upon him. And I prayed for him in the name of Jesus that that would be gone and, uh, and it left. And so Jesus in that moment freed this guy from an oppression. So you might go, okay, that was all in his head and, uh, and that didn't really, isn't really what happened. So I could understand you saying that. Um, so then uh, another story, uh, same camp, uh, different weekend. Uh, girl had a, just a huge headache. It hit her like a truck, and she took ibuprofen and whatever, and she couldn't overcome it, and she was, she couldn't serve. She couldn't actually play the roles. We're, and by the way, we're sharing the gospel with kids. We're changing kids' spiritual direction at this camp for what it's worth, and, uh, and so uh, we prayed for her together. We, uh, we asked the Lord to take away that headache, and uh, in that moment, the Lord took away the headache. You know, okay, so you might go, okay, but it's a headache. Really? It's like, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, so now I'm going to share with you some stories that I know people who were, who were uh, sort of first-hand witnesses of these things. So the first, the first one is this. When I was in seminary, um, you get people who, uh, in the world of the mind, in the world of learning, they tend to doubt more and more the reality of God doing supernatural things. And um, there was a friend of mine who had a desire to change this about our, our seminary world. And, and, uh, and the Lord, uh, when he was sitting, I think it was in the cafeteria, guy walks in the door, he has a cane, and the Lord in that moment laid it upon his heart to go and pray for that man's leg. Uh, the man was crippled in his leg. And, and so he goes up and, and prays for him, and, and the guy's leg healed. He didn't have to use the cane again. Like, he was done using the cane. Okay, so you might go, okay, but maybe it was still in his head. With <laughs> All right, sure. Um, so VBS at Village Church. I, uh, uh, somebody who's serving in the VBS, a, a teenager, she's a, an amazing evangelist. Like um, in one year, uh, like all the kids in her group came to, came to know the Lord. So the Lord really shows up in, in a significant way. But the year that, that she's serving, um, she has this cyst uh, underneath one of her teeth. Like it, it has developed and the dentist needs to take it out and it's scheduled to be taken out the week of VBS. She can only serve the first day of, of VBS and, um, and so they ask people to, to pray for her. Nobody even gathers around her in that moment. I think they just send out massive prayer requests. Hey, just, just pray for her. And, uh, and so she goes to the dentist the next day and the dentist starts digging into opening up where that cyst is going to be, and it was gonna be, it was gonna be a massive surgery, massive recovery. Well, once they actually, like, I don't know how they do it, but they get inside to look, they discovered that the cyst disappeared. That there's an empty pocket inside of her mouth where the cyst used to be, but the cyst is nowhere to be found. And she was able to then, she missed a day of VBS, but she didn't miss the entire week. She came back, and the kids in her group got saved. So... That was cool. Um, and then I, I'll finally tell you a story that is someone else's story. It's a story that actually that comes from the Alliance website, but I just want to explain this, tell this story to you. 
This is what he says. He says, as a pastor, I was called to meet a couple at a house. Their daughter had suffered a seizure and was not breathing. And when I reached the hospital, neither the parents nor the doctor were with the child. A nurse was unplugging the flatlined machines. The Holy Spirit prompted me to do something I'd never done before. Pray over the girl's lifeless body. I asked the nurse if I could pray for a minute, to which she replied, you know she's dead, but allowed me to go ahead. I asked God to restore the little girl, then I went to the next room and found the parents witnessing to the doctor, and about a minute later, we heard a scream, then the little girl crying for her mommy. It's never happened to me before or since, but that shows that Jesus is still healing. So, we know that Jesus does heal, but it's not always our experience that he heals. What do we do with that reality? So uh, you might say it like this, how should we ask? And I want to encourage you, when we ask for healing, we ask with bold expectation. When, I, when you ask me to pray for you for healing, I am going to pray in the name of Jesus that the Lord would take away every sense of physical malady that you are facing, that you might see his glory revealed in your body in that moment. And I'm going to pray for it expectantly. And at the same time, I'm going to do so with an open hand. I'm going to acknowledge that God is still God. He's the God of the universe. He is sovereign. And he's going to choose what he's going to, he's going to choose to do what he's going to choose to do. But I still ask for it because scripture tells me to ask for it. Scripture tells me to ask for it boldly. But at the same time, I acknowledge that God is still good and God is still powerful. So, so you hold in tension these realities. And then, and then when we don't see it, like, yeah, I might get frustrated because I, I'm expecting it to happen. I'm asking for it to happen. I might get frustrated, but I'm still, I still know, I'm still convinced that God is good. God still cares for me. God is still in control. Okay, uh, so final point, the purpose of all divine healing. Acts chapter three, verses nine through 16. Verse nine says this, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Everybody sees this guy after he's healed, and he is walking around. This, pe- this person that these guys have passed by day after day after day for all of these years is suddenly on his feet and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So people see this guy lame from birth, and they're awestruck at what happened. It com- completely defies everybody's expectations, and they recognize it for what it is, which is a miracle. So then Peter uses that miraculous healing to actually draw their attention to Jesus. He uses this moment of miraculous healing to draw their attention to Jesus. He begins addressing the the religious leaders who are in the temple, and and he tells them a story about Jesus. And, and, And in verse 15, he's wrapping up the story. This is what he says. He says, you killed the author of life, that is Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So we actually saw Jesus raised from the dead for what it's worth. And verse 16 says this, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and the presence of you all. So, so, so he takes the opportunity to just let them know, hey, listen, this was done and Jesus was the one who, who did it. Like this thing that you saw, I want you to know that this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you denied, 
He's the one who, who helped that man walk, that man that you walked by every day outside the temple for all of these years. So, so the opportunity then, as, as we look at healing and what healing accomplishes, Peter uses it to, to draw attention to Jesus. So, um, so then, uh, CMA website was a, a great resource for me this week. Uh, I want to tell you one more thing about healing. This comes from a guy named Reverend John Soper, and he articulates the perspective with which we approach healing. He articulates the purpose that we have in our mind as we approach healing. This is what he says. The perspective that we have is whatever brings you glory, Lord, I believe you can heal. With the absence of a firm word to the contrary, meaning uh, if you don't tell me no, then I'm going to believe that you will heal. But the only reason I want to be healed is because I want to bring you glory. If something else brings you more glory, that's okay with me. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. So, friends, this morning, we seek healing to make much of Jesus. We seek healing to make much of Jesus, and that's our main point. Okay, so what? James chapter 5 kind of deals with um, some things, some, some ways that we are to practice healing as the, the church. Um, and we're going to dig into that, but, but I just want to acknowledge Gosh, there is no sermon that could be preached that, that more people are going to have questions on and uncertainties and be wondering, what do we do with this? And I just, I want to tell you, there's no way I can answer all the questions that exist on this. It's just, it's, it's not possible. Uh, I'm just trying to represent faithfully the general thrust of what, what it seems that Scripture teaches. And so, uh, so, some so what's to walk away with this morning. Number one is this, believe that Jesus still heals. Believe that Jesus still heals. So James 5, verses 14 through 16 says this. It gives us a method by which we are to practice healing. It says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So we have to, there are just so, so many questions that this brings up. So we're just going to kind of plow through some questions that would come up as a result of this passage. So first question is this, does Jesus heal when non-elders pray? The answer is yes. Jesus does heal when non-elders pray. You don't have to be an elder to ask the Lord for healing, and you don't have to be an elder to see the Lord heal through your prayer. Okay, so, uh, so this is why we do prayer requests and prayer change, and we have chains, and we have multiple people praying for people who, who need healing. This is why we, ask, we all ask Jesus for healing constantly. So why then does he talk about the elders specifically? Why then mention the elders specifically? And I want to give you two reasons. The first one is this. The local church is where we most often see Jesus' work carried out. So the context of the local church is where we see Jesus carry out the bulk of his work. This is the place that he has chosen to use to be his body here on earth. And so, so that's number one. And number two, Jesus has actually given elders the authority in the local church. So, so as he turns over authority, he, he says, elders, you are the leaders. And so when somebody is coming to the elders, it's like they're coming, it's sort of like this public move to come before the church and say, I need healing. So Jesus has given elders authority in the local church. That's why he mentions elders specifically here. 
Uh, so then you might ask the next question, which is this, why anointing with oil, and what does that even mean? Um, so, so oil is a physical representation of our dependence on the Holy Spirit. Um, and so when we don't have oil, it's like, oh shoot, we forgot, we don't have it with us, but we say, Lord, if we had it with us, we would be using it because our desire would be to give this physical representation. So just like when we take communion, there's nothing magical about communion, the bread and the juice. There's nothing that actually like physically happens to us when we take that, but what we're acknowledging is that those things represent for us what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's why we take communion. It's, a, it's a, an act of obedience, but it's also a, a reminder to us of what Jesus is doing. This is why we do baptism. There's nothing magical about the waters of baptism. Nothing about baptism saves you, but uh, we acknowledge that baptism is a, a public act. It's a, a, a representation of what happens, that when you go down in the water, it's like you're dying to self and you come up out of the water. It's you're now alive to Christ, right? This is what these acts represent. And so when we anoint with oil, it's just it's another physical act that represents for us uh, a spiritual reality, that the Holy Spirit is the one on whom we are dependent. So why anointing with oil? Because it's a physical representation of our dependence on the Holy Spirit. But then the other reason is simply this, because God said to do it. <laughs> because it says to do it. It says anoint, uh, have him come before the church and, and the elders will anoint him. It's simple obedience. And, and obedience is the act of faith. And so, uh, so that's that question. So the next question you might ask is, how much faith does it take? And I'd say enough to come and ask. That's, that's what's expected here. Just come and ask. Come and ask. Enough to come and ask for prayer. So it's not, because you know what's interesting, it's not the faith that heals you. It's Jesus that heals you. The healing doesn't actually like come from within, from you being able to muster up sort, some sort of uh, belief or understanding inside of yourself. And there are some people that want to say, hey, if you just believe the right things, if you just have that power of positivity that you could actually heal yourself. And I say, no, that's not true. Only the hand of Jesus heals doesn't come from faith healers, it comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from crystals, it comes from Jesus. So how much faith, enough to come and ask for prayer? How much healing? Enough to bring God glory. Enough to bring God glory. So the one who has faith in Jesus always has a promise of, of healing available to them. And the purpose of all healing is to bring glory to God. The question is, Sometimes God uses healing right here and now to bring glory to himself. And sometimes God will allow you to continue to endure the physical suffering or sickness or whatever so that you might see his ultimate healing and glory. The reality is, is the promise of full physical healing is available to every single person who believes in Jesus. The question is, will we see it here and now? Or will we see it in glory? So you know, Jesus, he's, we get that promise that, that the very things that hinder our body, the very limitations that we're facing that are constantly frustrating, with, frustrating us, that they're gonna be done away with. Yes, when Jesus' kingdom comes, when he comes back and raises up bodies out of the ground and puts together things that were uh, formerly out of joint. But you know what? Jesus is gracious enough to sometimes even allow us to see glimpses of that future healing right here in the here and now. So can I share with you another hope in light of this? 
The other hope is this. God can actually use how you face a lack of physical healing to bring spiritual healing to other people. God can use the ways that you face a lack of physical healing to bring spiritual healing to other people. So as we talk about the reality of of having to deal with something as difficult as a sickness that we're facing, the brokenness of our body, you know, faith, faith doesn't just have to manifest itself physically. Faith can be shown, the trueness of faith can be shown in how well you endure the thing that God has allowed you to encounter. So, um, so yes, believe that Jesus still heals. The second so what is this? Let sickness deepen your faith. So this is what he says. He says the prayer of faith Uh, Whoever prays the prayer of faith, the Lord will raise him up. And so James has two meanings here when he's saying this. He's saying, hey, you know what? We should expect Jesus to bring healing when we ask for it because uh, we're convinced, but, but at the same time, so we're gonna, we're gonna expect Jesus to bring healing when we ask for it. He's gonna raise us up, right? But he's kind of doing a double meaning here because he's also saying we're convinced that Jesus will bring ultimate healing when he comes back. So whether we, receive, whether we see God's glory revealed in our bodies right now through physical healing or whether it's in the future with new bodies and that ultimate healing, every sickness is an opportunity to deepen our faith despite the results. So why do we face trials? Why do we encounter pain? Well, God allows us to encounter these things for two reasons. Number one, sickness is a trial to test and reveal our faith to reveal to those uh, around us, to to reveal even to ourselves the strength of our faith in Jesus. And I can tell you there are some people in this church who've gone through the same physical things for years and years and years and never seen Jesus heal, but you know what's constant through it all is that their faith in Jesus is steady and strong. You know, you've seen Jesus work through doctors. Some people in this church have seen Jesus work through doctors and confound all the medical expectations. I, I wish Tom Jepson were with us this morning because we could say, like, we all know that there was a, there was a timeline given for Tom, and he has lived, like, eight years beyond that timeline. You know, he's confounded doctors in a significant way. You've seen Jesus leave, uh, you know, requests for healing, though, in some cases unanswered. And you've glorified God regardless. There are some people who have done this and some people in this very church. And so sickness is an opportunity to show what your faith is made of. Number two is this. Sickness is an opportunity to see holiness increase. So, uh, so go back to the idea of desperation. We encounter these limitations on our physical body and they make us desperate. And so you can do something with desperation. You can take desperation and make yourself more and more dependent on Jesus. You can become more and more dependent on his word and prayer. You can be more and more committed to his glory in all things. You can be more and more tired of sin in your life. You can be more and more ready to confess and repent of sin. And this is why it references it in the passage. Confess your sin to one another. Pray for one another because it's an opportunity to to pursue holiness. You'll be more and more ready to share your faith. So you want to see healing. Describe what happens at the church. You know what? Just let sickness deepen your dependence on Jesus. Seek healing for your whole person and not just your physical body. Because Jesus, he's not just a healer of the physical. He heals the spiritual. 
He heals the emotional. He heals the mental. So let your physical ailment deepen your dependence on Jesus and let, him, let, let you set yourself see him heal your whole person. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. And watch Jesus get a whole lot of glory in the process. So uh, the last one, so what is this? But what if I never see Jesus' physical healing? What if I never see Jesus' physical healing? What if I ask for it for years and years? What if I pray desperately to see it and I never see it? Can I just give you some truths? Some truths that scripture makes clear to us. Some truths that stick with God throughout eternity. Number one, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. This is how much he loves you. He went to the cross for your sake so that you could have the chance to be forgiven of your sins. He allowed himself to be substituted in your place for your sin so that you could have life and relationship with God. Jesus desperately loves you. Number two is this. God is good. God is good. So even when you don't see the healing, you know what, God is good. And even, even when you don't see the healing, it might be hard to trust God. And, and you may not even know what good looks like. But I can tell you this, God knows exactly what good looks like. And even though you may not understand it, God is good. And number three, full physical healing is coming full physical healing is coming. There is a day where every single malady that ails us, every problem with these physical bodies that we have will be done away with. And Jesus will receive a whole lot of glory. Full physical healing is coming. Alliance Bible Church, would you pray with me, please? I thank you, Jesus, for the promise that you are a healer. And Lord, I know that there are people in this church on this very day who desire to see your healing. Lord, so, so we ask that you would do whatever you have to do in their hearts. Lord, do, do whatever you have to do in all of our hearts to de- deepen our dependence on Jesus. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom. Lord, help us even to ask more boldly for you to show up in a way that we might not even be expecting. Lord, help us to hold with an open hand and acknowledge that you're still sovereign, that you still love us, that you are still good. And Lord, may every physical ailment that we encounter help us look forward to the day when Jesus returns, when he raises up bodies out of the ground, when he fully restores physical bodies beyond any, uh, any functioning that we've even been able to experience. And Lord, when, when you get a lot of glory because full healing has come, help us to look forward to that hope. Jesus, we thank you for what you do. We thank you for allowing us to worship in this place. And as we uh, just continue on in worship, as we close our service this morning, we ask that you would even receive a whole lot of glory through the ways 
that we sing to you here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.